Ramadan Kareem. For those of you who are observing the holy month, we wish you a blessed month of good health and peace. And to all our listeners, old and new, we hope you're all keeping well and continuing to stay safe. Now, since our last episode, when we were in a 24-hour lockdown here in Dubai, we've all been coming to terms with our new realities. And that includes everything from online deliveries to working from home and even learning from home to seeing our friends and families over Zoom or Teams. For a few weeks, we had to apply for permits to step out for necessities. And as Ramadan started last week, we finally saw a little easing up of who, when, where and how we can step out again. Have you been stepping out since? Not really. I think for the most of us, we're still a bit cautious as we negotiate how we return to a time pre-COVID-19. And it was actually during one of many such conversations that we decided to zoom in on a personal story out of Connecticut in the United States. And that's how our Quarantimes episode, this episode, was born. From Amaya Media, this is Karama Sutra. Chronicles from communities we've grown up with. I'm Chirag Desai. And I'm Vinita Pardwad. This episode is brought to you from my home, where we're continuing to practice social distancing. Well, I'm Bob Sheikh. I guess you'll introduce me as far as I'm 40 years old, just hit my midlife crisis. Barbara and I went to university in Virginia 20 years ago. We both had a golf connection, which, if memory serves me correctly, was our icebreaker. We were mutually bemused over how hardly anyone around us knew about Dubai. Now, these were pre-9-11 times. We've mostly kept in touch, big milestones only, not day-to-day check-ins. And it's been entirely over the internet, as we've met once since we graduated. Barbara is now married with two young children. Pasha, a son who is six years old, and Lily, a daughter who is about three. His parents and his two brothers also live close to his home in Norwalk, Connecticut. We're pretty much considered a suburb of New York City. Uh, If you go on Craigslist or anything, we don't show up under Connecticut. We actually show up under New York City. That's how connected we are to it. And that's part of the the reason there's so many COVID-19 cases here. We have a lot of commuters. So this is one of the hot spots. Barber and his family own four food businesses, and he runs two of them. A golf-themed outlet called Sand Wedge Deli and Catering, with two locations, the first of which opened in 2005. We meddled with a few different things, convenience store, cell phone store, gas station, and eventually settled on food, um, which ended up being a good idea because, one, it never goes out of demand. Uh, Even in this economy, with everything that's going on with the pandemic, we are considered essential, uh, while 70% of the businesses around town might be closed. Uh, The other good thing about the food business is Amazon can't put us out of business yet. Uh, I don't know if one day they'll figure out a way to deliver an egg and cheese sandwich. Uh, but so far, we're pretty safe from the Googles, the Amazons, Facebook, Walmart, uh, the rest of these big wigs. Around the world, the timelines of countries reacting to the spread of the novel coronavirus vary. We have it under control. It's uh, going to be just fine. In the United States in particular, the story has been playing out over multiple acts, partly due to the absence of a unified federal policy. Most of us didn't take it seriously, including me. Me and my wife were actually in Manhattan for three days for a long weekend in the middle of February. 
It was our 11th wedding anniversary. We were out celebrating and COVID was around at that time. Uh, we were in the city taking subways. We went by Chinatown. And then me and my wife were making jokes about face masks and whether we should touch anything or we just weren't. This is middle of February. You know, it was pretty much uh, obvious that it was going to spread at this point. But over here, it just wasn't being taken seriously. And that's just, you know, even from someone like me who reads newspapers and gets news from a lot of sources and people who don't read the news or don't do it. And everyone just seemed to be taking it very lightly. Uh, it was only towards the beginning of March where, you know, it started getting a little serious here. But even now, so many businesses are considered, you know, the florist is considered essential. Uh, people can apply for exemptions. Uh, so the marijuana store dispensaries are open, the smoke shops, gas stations, convenience stores. Uh, there are places closed for sure, most of them. But I'm surprised at how many businesses are still open considering we're supposed to be on lockdown. And I see on TV the lockdowns in Spain, in Italy, uh, in China, and they all seem much stricter than ours. The president has signed a presidential proclamation foreign nationals other than immediate family of U.S. citizens and permanent residents who have traveled in China within the last 14 days will be denied entry into the United States. A partial travel ban between the U.S. and China was put in place at the end of January. The first death from COVID-19 in the country had been reported on the 6th of February in Santa Clara County, California. By mid-February, when Barbara and his wife were celebrating in Manhattan, the Trump administration had already declared the coronavirus outbreak to be a public health emergency in the United States. This is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. As we record this, life has changed significantly for all of us, with face masks being mandatory in most parts of the world and grocery stores only allowing one person shopping per family, mandating a distance of two to six meters between each individual. Meanwhile, as countries, states and communities are starting to cautiously loosen up the lockdown, the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in the US is in the larger New York City region, which Barbara said was a huge concern for communities such as the one he lives in. So the next few days in our area is going to be rough. We're too close to New York. I can understand some other states opening up in the next few weeks. Uh, but over here, most people seem to understand that we're in this for the long run, even though some of them still don't take it seriously. I was just hoping more people in general would be taking it more seriously. Uh, I don't see that happening. And it's interesting to see how different countries are dealing with it. I talked to my cousins in Pakistan. Uh, I actually exchanged messages with a friend in India a few days ago. Uh, I have a, I've talked to you in Dubai. I have a friend in Canada I talked to. Uh, every place seems to be taking a different approach to it. So it'll be interesting to see which one works out better. He finds it vexing that there is an absence of a clear, unified response to the pandemic. Barber's Deli is currently open and lets customers in. On the other hand, the burger place next to his isn't letting anyone inside. Customers stand at the door, place their order, 
and wait until it's brought out. I have hand sanitizer and a dispenser up near the front door, which I was able to get my hands on a few days ago just by chance. Uh, my employees are wearing face masks, gloves. Uh, we're wiping the place down every 30, 45 minutes. We're taking as many precautions as we can. But there's many businesses, grocery stores, there's no hand sanitizer. There's no gloves being given out. Whatever you bring with yourself, you're on your own. Uh, some businesses like Costco was wiping down carts before they were giving them out. But another location wasn't. Uh, some more consistency would be nice. You know, it's not like either tell food businesses you can let people in or you can't. Because uh, when people see different models being worked out, Starbucks is open, but only for drive through. Uh, to have a more uniform approach, even though it might be stricter, I think would be better. His deli is run by a team of nine, including himself. He has two part timers. Five members of the team are documented, but since people have been told to stay home, all the offices in the central business district where he operates out of are empty. There's good days, there's bad days. I have lim- I've decreased my hours. I don't open Sunday anymore. I won't have to close. I don't want to close. I feel like it's going to be very hard to decide when to open again, uh, and I'm going to lose customers. People will start going elsewhere. They're not going to know I'm open again. Uh, and it's just going to be a shit show. So I'd rather just keep this one going uh, rather than create new headaches. I'll stick to my current headache. The deli used to make about $3,000 a day before, but now sales are down 70%, and he's had to let go of four members of his team, Robert, Luke, Brandon, and Ramiro. Because of the enhanced unemployment benefits in the U.S., uh, they're getting $600 extra a week. They're going to make more money sitting at home for the next three, four months than they would working for me full-time or any of my brothers. These are the documented citizens, permanent residents. The undocumented immigrants are a different story. Uh, I basically kept my undocumented immigrants around since they're not going to get unemployment. They're not going to get stimulus checks from the government. Most of them don't own houses. They pay rent, so their mortgage is not being forgiven for a few months, a year, whatever. So I talked to my legal citizens, and I told them, look, I have to lay you off. I explained to them why. Uh, And they all understood. Nobody took it to it. Things happened so quick. I think a lot of us were shocked the first week or two. And it was still sinking in, but I'm sure now that it's gone on for several weeks, some of my employees might be getting worried who were laid off that, hey, I don't know if we're going to go back at all. It's nice to have these three, four months of extra money, but I'm glad I kept my undocumented because those guys would not have been able to pay rent. They wouldn't have money to buy food. Uh, It actually got to a point uh, I laid myself off last week. Wow. Because uh, it just made sense. I can file for unemployment. They can't. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't working much anyway. And it's my own business. So, you know, it's uh, not as harsh for me. We've had a good few years. Uh, but again, I was ready for a few months. But a year of this, two years, we're going to have to basically change the way we do business. And I'm just going to have to keep operating with three, four employees instead of the eight I usually have. 
are you going to benefit from the small business fund or we could take advantage of it if we want the ppp loan there's a small business loan where you can get a $10,000 grant uh my thinking was we shouldn't take benefits of it because leave it for the people who really need it right now uh but as far as i know maybe my brother's other businesses need it so maybe he's doing it for that but i personally was not going to apply for it cuz i felt like my location could handle a few months of this i was just going to adjust prices labor costs and so forth <clears throat> and just try to survive in this new era uh and i know three four other people who have applied for loans and haven't gotten them before they ran out of money now they're putting money in again we weren't i i was surprised some of these big big corporations after 2 3 weeks they need corporate bailouts millions tens of millions billions i would think any respectable business should be handle at least should be able to handle 2 to 3 months of a rapid downturn because we've all seen it before 9/11 the 2008 recession while the delivery side of his business seems to be doing all right for the moment via uber eats as most of us know there's a low margin sales and restaurants haven't been immune to food prices going up red meat for example has practically doubled in cost around his part of america so it's not just sales go down food costs go up because of all this panic buying and hoarding going on uh it creates other problems uh even though the local community on facebook they're trying to help local restaurants they're trying to tell people go buy gift certificates uh we're just hurting in multiple ways and like my i used to get food deliveries 6 days a week that company cut it down to 3 days a week because there was no demand but i am thinking about as a side thing at my deli because i have paper towels gloves toilet paper i'm going to put them out on a shelf in my deli for sale for customers who still need it i still see people posting on facebook where can i find toilet paper uh so it's still an issue for some people uh so i'm going to sell gallons of milk probably dozen eggs uh whatever i can to get more sales get some uh marketing on facebook people posted like hey this place is selling toilet paper gloves and so forth Uh, so I could have technically opened a grocery store. I have tomatoes, potatoes, onions. You would love it, Vanita. It's mostly vegetarian. Another thing, you know, it's just sad to see what Americans are hoarding. Uh, it's definitely not fresh fruits and vegetables. I don't get it. It's just so strange to me uh, that we're hoarding, and people are and people are saying this: eat healthy. You know, make your immune system stronger. and we're just getting fatter and lazier for the most part. Uh we're going to be really ill prepared for that second wave. <laughs> I still joke about it, but I know it's a very very serious subject. Like I'm worried about it every day, mostly for my father. Uh but in you know it's but you know if you can't find humor in these times, come on. Does your father live with you? No, not anymore. I uh... <laughs> We did live together me my two brothers my parents for years I moved out when I was 28 and I had actually told them I'm not going to have kids until I move out uh so we were working on an arrangement to figure out a way how I would move out of the family home the family business compensation just you know running a business 
like a family business in Pakistan, but doing it in America causes a lot of problems. Uh, so I was able to move out of the house, but not even because we worked out an agreement. Uh, our house burned down. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was my younger brother was getting married the next weekend. There were about 80 people in our house having a mandy, dolki, such a fun party. Big house. People spread out all over the place. Somehow a fire started in the basement. Uh, luckily, nobody got hurt. Uh, my brother did, the younger one who was getting married, and his fiance. They had to jump out of a window from the second floor. But luckily, no one got hurt seriously whatsoever. But the house was so badly burned that to put the fire out, they had to demolish part of the house. Uh, so that kind of became the catalyst for me and my wife to move out of the family home. So my parents lived by themselves for the past not even a year. And it just sucks that the timing was such that they're living alone, and now we're in a time where we have to isolate ourselves. Home alone right now is just not a good mix for you know grandparents who are used to living with their kids, their grandkids, for years and years. Uh, and now the kids haven't been able to go there for weeks and weeks. They haven't even seen them. When we come back, a little bit more about how Barbara ended up in the United States, where his journey started out at boarding school in Pennsylvania, close to the family of a future American president. Hey, this is Trog from Amaya Media, and we wanted to take a few moments to say a heartfelt and sincere thank you to all the men and women who are on the front lines today, ensuring that the rest of us stay safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. All over the world, our lives have been turned upside down, but we're able to retain some semblance of sanity due to the men and women in healthcare who are working around the clock, as well as those in essential services, such as civil defense, police, education, government, local businesses and deliveries, and our friends in the media. So from the team at Karama Sutra and Amaya Media, thank you for everything that you're doing. Welcome back. I'm Vanita Padwaj, and you're listening to Karama Sutra, chronicles from communities we've grown up with. Before the break, we were speaking to Babar Sheikh about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic in his town of Norwalk, Connecticut, and on his food business. His family is originally from Pakistan, and he grew up in Saudi Arabia, where his father worked. As a child, he attended an American school in Tehran. I remember the year I went there, George Bush the senior had visited. He was vice president at the time. Uh, but while you were on campus, it was like being in America. People were wearing, girls wearing shorts, skirts, American teachers, uh, mostly American students. Parents worked for various companies, contractors in Saudi Arabia. We were close to Bahrain. We're on the Dubai side. We're not far. The one Scud missile that landed during the first Gulf War was a few miles from where we lived. But we had left the country during the Gulf War. The first one, my dad stayed back. Uh, we moved to Pakistan for seven, eight months. I actually had to go to a Pakistani school there. That's when I realized how amazing my school in Saudi Arabia was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was a very, very awkward, but hopefully it only lasted a few months. Came back to Saudi Arabia in fifth grade, I believe it was. 
uh, with a new appreciation for everything. His school only ran up to the ninth grade. Foreign students would either return to their homelands or go to the U.S. to boarding school. As a result, Barber ended up at the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania in 1995. It was a private all-boys boarding school where the students went to school six days a week, Saturday was a half day, and they wore suits and ties to class every day. Surprisingly, my hall monitor, this is two senior students who helped the dorm parent who's a teacher overlook the hallway of 10 rooms, maybe 20, 21 kids. Uh, one of my hall monitors was Donald Trump Jr. What? I had no idea. I knew back then who Donald Trump was. Now I look back on it, I'm like, holy shit. But Donald Trump Jr. was my hall monitor. We used to chit-chat. Uh, they used to harass me a little just because I was a foreigner. I was a junior or whatever. You know, some regular hazing that takes place. Never horrible, but it was fun. It was it was a great place. I loved that school. Uh, I was actually the last all-boys class. They went co-ed the year after me. And while I was a senior, Eric Trump was in ninth grade. And I remember I used to pick on him sometimes, partially because that's what you get to do when you're a senior in these types of atmospheres, and partially because, you know, his older brother used to pick on me. Uh, so I felt like I was getting a little bit of revenge in that sense. Uh, but my 10th grade year, career day, the speaker was Donald Trump. Uh, he showed up on campus with Ivanka Trump. Uh, all boys boarding school, so a bunch of boys following Ivanka around. But at an elite private all boys boarding school, he was telling us, you don't need to do well in school. I was a C student. Look at me now. You know how he is, the way he talks. Uh, but interesting times, huh? Did not see that connection coming. <laughs> Incidentally, his long path to citizenship came through during the Trump presidency. He'd been in the States since 1995, graduating from James Madison University in Virginia in 2002. Now, for those of you who may not know, as a foreign student, once you graduate from a university in the United States, you have a limited amount of time to apply for a work permit, ultimately moving yourself to the H-1B status. That allows a foreign national to work in the United States in a job related to your degree for an extended period of time. The H-1B operates with a quota system, and there is a cap on the maximum number of new H-1B holders each year. I actually ran into some troubles there. I went to interviews where people were protesting outside saying, don't hire foreigners. But this was still fresh off of 9-11, if you think back. Uh, and you have to find something related to your degree to apply for the H-1B visa. But you know how lawyers are. They'll make anything sound related to anything. Uh, so I was going to have to do that at some point. And I did land a job finally selling insurance for John Hancock uh, for about almost two years. I was trying to make it on my own, not move back with my parents. And eventually I did. Uh, but that was also my visa status got screwed. So I got approved initially, but then they disapproved me based on some technicality about the application coming in two or three days after the quota was filled or something like that. I was basically out of status for a few years. Well, appeals, we had things going, but it wasn't looking hopeful. Uh, but we were working on that, but I ended up getting arranged with my wife around the same time. 
Uh, we use the Rishta auntie. I don't know if there's any other words for that. That's what we call them over here. They charge you a couple hundred bucks. They set you up with someone. Uh, you can date for a little bit. It's not completely arranged like back home. My uncle would come home and be like, hey, you are marrying so-and-so on this date, and that's it. So I was lucky enough. We dated for three months. We decided, yes, we do want to carry forward. And I ended up getting married, and I got citizenship much faster that way than I would have through my business. I was able to travel again, so forth. This was in 2008, I believe. But then I actually became, when I applied for citizenship, my application got held up. Uh, Trump had just come into power. I don't know if it was related to that or not, but my application basically lingered for more than almost two years. Uh, eventually, I actually contacted my senator from Connecticut, Chris Murphy, and his office got involved. And within two months, I was a citizen. Uh, I couldn't believe that, that you know, you have to get a senator involved, you can become a citizen. I was, if I had done it right in the beginning, who knows how fast it would have been. We taped the conversation with Baba the day before Ramadan started, and I asked him if they were going to try and find ways to bring the family together. Uh, like I said, we're not religious, but at least a few times a week, we would go to my mom's house to break fast. She would make all the usual delicacies. Uh, and uh, we're not going to like Eid is going to be even more odd. Like in Pakistan, I heard there were loosening standards during Ramadan. No one should be going to a mosque right now. You know, it's just special circumstances. Uh, even Saudi Arabia, I think, has mosques closed from what I've heard. Uh, for all we know, this Ramadan and next Ramadan are going to be part of this pandemic. But by next Ramadan, we're definitely going to have things figured out where... We're all probably gathering in some sort of space suit. What's the first thing you would like to do when all of this sort of ends? Well, for various reasons, our vacation to California in December got canceled. We were actually going to go to Italy for a spring break on April 5th. Wow. That got canceled. I was supposed to go to Jamaica with a friend on March 16th. That got canceled. <laughs> I'm. I just. We need to go on vacation. It's. It's. Uh, we're gonna have to keep it domestic. It looks like. We're thinking about going to California in June after school ends. Uh, but that's what's killing us right now. We like to travel as much as we can. At the time of recording this episode, there were over 3.4 million COVID-19 cases reported worldwide, out of which 1.1 million were in the United States, the most in the world so far. Globally, the death count had crossed 250,000, with the US reporting 67,784 deaths. Some countries are tiptoeing back on restrictions, while experts caution us to prepare for a dance in and out of lockdowns. People are still scared. They think, you know, my dad thinks he can't even go for a walk outside. Uh, he thinks it's that dangerous. Uh, so, so just, you know, different schools of thought, if more solid information was out there, more facts were out there. We had leaders who were more fact-based uh, rather than feelings-based. I think more of us would be on the same page, uh, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. 
This episode of Karama Sutra was hosted by me, Vinita Paradwaj, and produced by me, Anshirag Desai, who also edits the show, with support from Abhishek Venkat Subramanian, Sukhena Kazmi, and Zainab Ujaini. Special thanks to Baba Sheikh for sharing his story with us. You can find the links to the sources for the COVID-19 stats we shared on the episode, as well as to Sandwich, Delhi, and Catering in our show notes. As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can connect with us on Instagram at karama.sutra. Karama Sutra is part of the MIM Media Network. You can listen to all of our episodes for free in your favorite podcast players. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, as well as Ngami and Deezer. We hope to be back for the 8th of June, but we may adapt our calendar depending on official directives in light of the precautions enforced due to the novel coronavirus. Until then, to all of you, we wish you good health. Stay safe.